Greetings, everyone, and welcome to WriteBrain, a podcast about writing and crowdfunded publishing. Welcome to WriteBrain, the podcast about crowdfunded publishing, writing, creativity, all sorts of good stuff. My name is Jean-François Dubot, or J.F. Dubot for the English-speaking, and with me is my good friend Paul Inman. Paul, are, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Actually, I'm probably doing better than you are after, you know, hearing your little tale about your adventures. Oh, my car. Well, that's in the past. Yeah. The, well, the car's outside, but the, the car troubles are in the past. <laughs> well, I, that's good. No, I'm, I'm doing super good. As I, I was talking to you about in the pre-show, I, I have just won a decisive battle against what seemed to be a cold. So I'm feeling pretty uh, pretty okay with myself. I'm exhausted. It's been a crazy weekend. I went to a literature, science fiction, and fantasy convention in Ottawa, and then yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then I got sick, and then <laughs> then my car broke down. It's it's been crazy. Um, however, I I, I wanted to uh, congratulate you on uh, your Halloween costumes that you posted on Facebook. Those looked awesome. Oh, thanks, thanks. We uh we had uh, my my daughter had a birthday party this past weekend and she wanted the theme of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit and uh, so we went all out you know my uh, my wife made uh, our daughter's costume from scratch which turned out really well Tariel and, and you uh, guys did like the whole room decoration sorry I I kind of stalked your uh, your <laughs> Facebook page because I'm creepy. And <laughs> no worries. No, also, also, I, I like costumes. Uh, one of my co-hosts on their show is a, is a cosplayer and a, an avid prop That's maker. Awesome. So, very cool. Yeah, we had a good time, and um, yeah, we did. We made over her room, and uh, it turned out really nice. We got a lot of cool stuff. You know, Etsy is like a cool website. You know, you can find almost any, almost everybody's making whatever you want, pretty much. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. We found a, a big decal for her her door. Like her door in a room, the whole inside of the door looks like the entrance to um, Under the Mountain. What's that oh, called? Cool. The uh, the ah um, oh, crap. The dwarf Mines cave. of Moria. Mines of Moria. Yes, I don't know why I blanked out just then. Because I'm I'm a nerd. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, I know it. I just forgot it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I assume you probably know it better than I do. I'm I'm actually not that knowledgeable about Tolkien lore. Oh, that's I, okay. I know clearly. I know a bit, but not not as much as most people. I, I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I've read, I've read The Hobbit. Obviously, I've read um, The Fellowship of the Rings. I got through about half of the Two Towers, and they're honestly they're pretty hard reads. But I was also about nineteen when I did that, so I guess I could revisit now that I'm thirty-five. You know, probably. I I, I read like the whole trilogy when I was um, probably in my early teens, and I reread them as a as a much younger, like a young adult, mid twenties. And it was easier to read in my mid-20s because I had more patience. But, I mean, it is older literature. Mm -hmm. Um, The paragraphs and pages where it breaks into song for almost no reason can be, (laughs) I would say, very tempting to skip. And there there are certain descriptions and scenes that, I would say... Literature is, in its own way, a technology, and thus it refines and perfect perfects itself as time goes by and gets better as people understand, you know, nar- narrative techniques. And when you go back to some of the old masterpieces, you can see what they brought to the art, but you can see why they're old, also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Like I like to I like to read Jules Verne, and it's the same thing. Oh, I love Jules. Verne. I love Jules Verne too. He's he's literally like he's one of my absolute favorites. I I love it. I love it. In fact, there's a couple. There's one or maybe two that I actually haven't read that I was that I I'm always like when I find the time I really want to read these, but the time is always hard, you know. So. Well, very recently, my brother was rereading Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and he quit halfway through because he was annoyed at the like pages upon pages about marine biology that oh, bring I that nothing. Stuff. I I enjoy it too. That's I, but he's not wrong that it breaks the narrative. You have a story, yeah. and then wait, let us stop the story so I can tell you at length. About sea cucumbers. <laughs> Saddle in, folks. It's going to be an exciting 20 pages. <laughs> and you you don't see that in stories as much anymore for good reason. <laughs> right, because like one of the first things that um, Lindsay, the editor of uh, Ageless, said was, you know, you have to find the things that are important. If it's not moving the story forward, you, you probably don't need it. And, you know, I know exactly what you mean. But I do actually enjoy that that information I, I mean i just like it you know i think it's neat to learn about i guess maybe but uh it's uh it's, go ahead sorry it's it's a, it's about weaving it well into the story and making sure that you you give obviously enough that it helps the story but at the same time if you want to add a bit extra like hold back a bit so that you don't like because you you, you got to take your reader into consideration like when i was writing the the life engineered oh i wanted to go deep into you know theoretical faster than light travel i really like i read a ton about it and i really wanted to you know write my essay on the subject within the pages of the book and but i had to hold back and like, I'll, I'll revisit it later if i have a character who's an engineer and talks about that it'll make more sense right. but I know exactly what you mean. I, Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Because, because I, I mean, you're you're a writer. Let's say you're, you're I don't know. You're writing about again sea cucumbers. You just <laughs> went through five documents, the Wikipedia pages. You 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 just spent like a whole week learning everything that you could possibly learn about sea cucumbers. You want to use that knowledge. You want to apply it in your book. Oh yeah. Well. Oh yeah. You're definitely right. Like with Ageless, I was like, I did a lot of research about genetics obviously and you know like very very little of that made it in because as i was evaluating what i wanted to use it, it turned out that like you know this is not really important and people aren't going to want they're not going to care it's gonna i'm gonna lose lose the reader's focus you know especially now like with everything is so fast-paced you know with like video games and like television shows and movies and everything has to be in your face almost is what the way i start to feel with all this stuff like you know, if if it's not bright and shiny and loud, then you're going to lose people's attention is the thought process, I, I assume. Uh, I'm not necessarily like that, but uh, it, it becomes almost overwhelming sometimes with all this, with all the information that is thrown at you. And I'm really like, as I'm saying this, I'm really thinking more in terms of visually, like with television shows and movies and like video games, you know, it's like, it's like, well, take any any random video game that you like. It's it's like you get so immersed with all this stuff, but it's like every time you turn a corner, you expect something to happen, and if it doesn't, you start feeling like almost bored. Some people, again, not me so much. I like the video games that are a little slower, personally. 
because I like to get the story. Obviously, I'm a writer. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a writer. I enjoy doing that. So I like that story buildup. A lot of people, I guess, don't, or or at least it's sold that way. You know. Yeah, I f- I think it's also because I mean. We're, we're used to a certain way of consuming information, consuming entertainment mm-hmm. that is based on what came before. And that's normal. But we need to accept also that certain things are moving forward. Uh, a good example, like we, we, we like to think because it makes us feel good that the younger generations um, don't want all that information because they don't have the attention span. But... What is most likely closer to reality is that they don't want all that information. If they're reading Jules Verne and there's, they start talking about sea cucumber, their reaction is, if I want to know more about sea cucumbers, I'll look it up. Yeah. But back when <laughs> those books came out, yeah, back when 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea came out, if you wanted to know more about sea cucumbers, you had two choices. You read Jules' 20-page essay on the subject <laughs> within the story. Or you had to seek out a professor of marine biology at the university, and there was like one in the country. So, because the information because information is so much easier to obtain, it's when an author goes off on a pardon the expression masturbatory exposition <laughs> on a subject that's dear to him, it feels a lot more that way than him trying to educate you. It feels very self-aggrandizing to go off about faster than light you know theories in a book that doesn't necessitate that level of detail if people want to know what Nalcubier drive is i give basic details necessary for the plot to continue and they can just go to wikipedia for the rest right and that's a good way to do it uh so you were saying earlier about you went to ottawa tell tell us the good and the bad or, or just the good, or just Actually, the bad. I'm, I'm going to tell what's going to be useful to the listeners because that's, that that's, good. that's probably because I mean we talked about it in the pre-show a little, and I, I gave you some of the impressions on a more emotional level. But there's a lot that I learned from that experience. That I think could benefit anybody that's never been to one of these conventions. Now, a lot of us in the Inkshare contest have noticed come from a much more um, standard geek entertainment industry type people like comic books and movies and things like that Uh, i'm sure some of us have done more of the more standard author thing but this was for me this was my first venture into an actual writer's community this this is a convention where the dealer's room is writers and authors and publishers it's a it's a place where there are panels given about science and about literature about there, there was a panel reviewing and reviewers that was essentially telling us how reviewers felt what they were looking for when reviewing how they reviewed and they have their own weird community it's it, the entire convention kind of revealed all these layers to the the, the publishing industry that I thought I was comfortable with, but clearly there's way more to it than I expected. So if I, if I were to give a tip to anyone is find a literature convention in your area, go visit because it's going to teach you about the relationships that you need to build. Even if you plan on just self-publishing, it's still a good way to sort of understand what you're up against and how other people are doing it. One of the things that I came out of this is the positioning of small presses and how, <laughs> how do I say 
how depressingly hard it is to actually make a living as a writer. Uh, yeah, you were saying that you got to do your uh, pitches. We talked about that um, on the previous episode, how you were going to be doing your pitches. So uh, you, you pitched to three small, was it three small press? I pitched to three small presses. I pitched to Five River Publishing, which is it's a tiny press, but they do science fiction fantasy. I pitched to Pop Siegel, which is a very new small press. It's a it's this lazy lady called Liz, and I think her husband who take care of it, and she does editing, and I think he takes care of the rest of the business. And also to Dragon Moon Press, which is all it's a small press, but more established, bit bigger, more quote unquote professional staff, if you will. Right, and. That's cool. It was yeah. It, it was very much like I described it last show. This is it is speed dating mixed in with an interview. All the bad parts. <laughs> Fortunately, I can't get over that every, description. I love it. It's, it's funny, <laughs> but it's so it's. I, I I thought it was a joke, and it's so on the nose. However, <laughs> I think that's what makes me I laugh was, so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I was fortunate enough that. The, uh, the the nice gentlemen and the two ladies that I met were very, very nice and gracious dates. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's the, fantastic. The, the, the first man I met, actually, even though he turned out in the book, he said he, he gave me some very good tips about which part of my pitch did not work, which ones did. And also he he basically said, like, the, the reason I'm I'm not interested in your book is because I'm not interested in that genre right now. But he did refer me to another publisher to go see. He says, go see these people. That's what they do. Oh, that's awesome. So that was a very comfortable introduction as far as the first pitch session. And I'm glad to say it went uphill from there. So for the, the other two publishers, I mean, I, obviously, I don't want to go into detail. I don't want to tell tales out of school. But the other two publishers uh, essentially gave me a request for full manuscripts on the spot. So either I'm very good with pitches they're very desperate or maybe i have an okay book on my hand who knows or it's a mixture of everything right it could very well be well hey that's a that's great that's a great ex- experience to share i mean i think that's really awesome because obviously the people who are listening um they may be in the same situation as as you are in the future or as you were in the future you know right well one of, one of the things about this convention that I already kind of knew, but didn't invest myself sufficiently in. Is like I, a lot of the, the, the my my writer friends, especially regionally, have this tendency to have this. They, they're making one mistake with two aspects to it. They have this one book that they want to publish this one way, and usually it's I'm going to write this magnum opus. I'm going to submit it to the biggest publisher ever that also conveniently publishes what my favorite author publishes. And they're going to pick it up because it's awesome. And I will get to write my 10-part series. And it's going to be made into an HBO series. <laughs> Which is basically like the comparison I usually do. This is like planning your retirement by saying, I am going to win the lottery and retire on that. Because that's the odds you're playing with, right? It's and like one, not. It's unrealistic. It's an unrealistic goal, really. You know. Yeah, it happens. It happens that someone writes their first book and publishes it, and it gets picked up by a big publisher, and boom, movie within five years. Andy Weir is a good example, but I mean, there's there's 
a contest of circumstances that need to happen for something like that to happen. The book needs to be amazing. The way Andy approached his his readership was unique and gripping. At the same time, we were were we're seeing a, a rise in interest in sciences and and more hardcore science fiction with movies like Interstellar and Gravity. This is a bunch of ingredients that means that the book hero just fit into the zeitgeist in a way that you can't plan for. And if you're planning it, planning for it, you're probably not writing with passion because you're trying to fit a certain mold. Right. He just came what? along right, right place, right time. And, and exactly. then, you know, the with, Martian just took off. And with a quality product. It's not, it's not just right place, right time, but also right thing. Well, yes, well done. Yes. So what I'm discovering is that the avenues for publishing are... There's so many. I mean, we already knew that you could self-publish. We already knew that you could obviously do the Inkshare thing, which is something I'm starting to call crowd voting more than crowdfunding. Oh, and obviously, and then term. we thought there's there's traditional publishing, but then I'm noticing that there's all these onion skin layers to traditional publishing, where you've got these very small presses, and then you've got these, uh, you've got the larger publisher, there's some medium publishers, there's some hybrids in there. It's I haven't deciphered all of it, and I don't think many people do understand all of it. But what I'm saying is don't just have a book because you're even if you manage to say like yourself, get a book into production, if you want to be a serious author, you need to have a second book ready to shop around. Preferably not in the same series as the first one because you probably don't want to split your series between publishers because no one wants that <laughs> no and look at multiple options don't say i'm going to only do ink shares ink shares is awesome if i can do only ink shares and that's profitable i probably will but the thing is you need to throw a lot of things at the wall see what sticks and we'll talk about that in another show but we'll need to go into detail at some point about managing your rights on your product yeah, that's definitely a, definitely a topic that we could definitely talk about for a while. Um, so, so exactly. we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You've got to ha- You can't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you can't uh, you can't um, rely on that one book to go out there and you know knock it out of the park right out right out of the gate because it's just probably not going to happen that way. Yeah, and I mean, everybody that I talk to says, oh, I'm a writer, I write. Well, good, write. Write 10 books, write 20 books, write as many books and shop all of them around. The Reverse the equation. If you think, oh, I wrote a book and I'm going to send it to 50 different publishers. No, move the numbers about, write 10 books and send them to 10 publishers each, all different. Like, aim for publishers that are more specific to your genre but make sure that you have a lot of product. First of all, you're going to get better as you write along and you're always going to need a new book to promote, to have ready for a contest. And that's going to be our subject in the end, how to prepare for a crowdfunding yeah. con- you know, situation with a book. And basically don't just aim for one thing because if you think that there's, if you already think that there's a vast amount of ways to publish and get a book on shelves, what I've learned this weekend from going to that con is that I haven't even scratched the surface of that yet. 
How about you, so, Paul? I think I'm monopolizing all the the entire show here. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, I, I do have a question about the con. So what is your takeaway, like the, the main thing that you took away from checking out this literary con this past weekend? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's all on the spot. We didn't talk about this. No, but. it's it's because it's, it's a difficult one because it's a tip that I'm going to give that I don't even follow myself. It, <laughs> well, you, there's a lot of do what I say, not what I do, right? Absolutely. And and the thing is, I this, this is thing, stuff I should have done. It's, it's basically network. If you're going to a con like that, learn about which publishers and which authors are going to be there, which ones either you like their work because it's always nice to make new friends in the industry, but also which ones work in the a style and a genre that is close to you and engage these people. Just get them in conversation, uh, have a drink with them, uh, hang out with them at a party, make friends or at least acquaintances and learn the names and learn the people that are in your industry and work in your genre because they're the people that are going to be able to help you. They'll, they'll help you write. They'll help you find contacts within the industry. And this is the part that I completely failed at this weekend. I mean, I'm a very, very uh, socially anxious individual. I have trouble meeting new people. So I didn't do that. And I should have, because there were people, there were people that were specifically in the industry. There, there was a panel. Unfortunately, I missed it because I got to the convention late. But there was a panel on on uh, artificial intelligence on Friday, and I should have, you know, taken down the note of who the panelists were and hunted them down, engage them in conversation, tell them about my book, you know, offer to send them a copy and get their impressions and their opinion. Do that. Yeah. I didn't, and I regret it. Uh, you know, honestly, I mean. You have to be a certain type of person to really feel comfortable with that, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily that person either. I, I'm not. Nece- I, I I can engage someone in a conversation, but most of the time I just don't want to. You know what I mean? It's not that I don't like them or who they are or what they're doing. I just have a hard time um, with the that just that whole act, that whole aspect. Like for example, when I was. Uh, when Ageless was um, campaigning, I went out and I tried to do the on the street like, hey, ch-, you know, I I did a um, a one off print of Ageless of the draft that I had, and I took that and I had it in my hand and I was like, I'm gonna show people this, I'm gonna put it in their hands, I'm gonna let them, you know, touch it, flip through it, and I'm gonna say, now listen, you know, you can get this and help this get into stores and on shelves and on the internet, all you know, just with your at that point it was a ten dollar, you know. Um, pledge or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, a pre-order for um, the book, you know, and I just went out and I did that. I tried my hardest for like seriously several hours and I just, I couldn't engage people because I was just so uncomfortable. I did get about, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen or, or 10 orders that way, but I really struggled. I should have, I should have asked every person who walked by, hey, check this out. Hey, look at this. Hey, stop and talk to me, you know, but that's, that's really really tough for me you know well there's a difference between engaging a stranger that might have absolutely no interest in what you're talking about and that's that's something i i've i'll never be able to do i've had to do it on certain occasions and it's it's surprising how successful it can be Uh, i used to volunteer for a gaming company they did have us do like tables at malls and in toy stores and just just engage anybody and doing it it's amazing the response you get, but it's, it's very uncomfortable for me to do it. I could do it on behalf of another company, but to, to do it on my own behalf, 
is significantly more difficult for me. However, what I'm talking about in which, unfortunately, it's a skill that if you're going to be, and I, again, like, I was, I understand, like, people are going to say, oh, I can't do that. I understand. Three days ago, I couldn't do it, and I should have. But the reality of it is, if you want to be in this industry, you need to be able to engage people. You need to be able to go to these pitch sessions. You need to be able to step out of your comfort zone. I failed at doing this this weekend, and I have to vow not to. And the answer isn't too complicated. If I take into, as an example, those people that gave a panel about artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. what do I know about them? One thing, they kind of like and know about artificial intelligence. So if I go to them and engage them about the thing they like, they should react very similarly to how I would react if someone came to me and engaged me on something I enjoy. That makes sense. So they won't say, I don't have time for you. Or if they do, it's probably for a sincere, legitimate reason. And I can easily say, well, is there a time I can talk to you? Because I love robots. You love robots. We should hang out. It's not that hard. You should make that your your, uh, thing on Twitter. I love robots. You love robots. We should hang out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do that when I get closer to the release date of yeah. Life Engineered. I'm telling the, you, the, that's your tagline, right? <laughs> until I release something that doesn't have robots in it. Yeah, but the, 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 the point is, it's, it's easier for some, it's harder for others, but it's necessary for all of us. So get used to it. Yeah, and you know, I think that... <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that that's a skill, just like any other skill. Like you may not be any good at, or you know, you listener, and not not specifically you, JF, but you listener may not no, be no, any good at it. You I'm know, terrible at it. <laughs> you may not be any good at it, but you know, the more you try to do it, the more you step outside of that box, you know, outside of your comfort zone, the better you're going to get at it. It's just like anything. Like if you can't, I don't know, if you can't drive very well the more you practice trying to drive you the better you get you know and i'll i'll put it to you in a, in, in a different context if if i if i knew a kid that said i really want to be a hockey player like i want to do pro hockey but i really don't like competition and i said but you need to compete and he'd say i can't the answer to that would be well you can't be a professional hockey player and it's about the same thing. It's super rough to hear, and people are going to get mad hearing it. But if you're going to get into the writing industry, you need to engage publishers, other writers, and people within the industry. And if your answer to that is, oh, no, I can't, you can't be a writer. It's not like any job. It's not just about writing. It's about everything that goes around it which is what we call publishing. And unfortunately, you need to be able to, either you can go all out a la Jameson Stone and just be able to engage any kind of stranger, or you need to be more like a sniper and pick like specific publishers, but you need to be able to engage these strangers. I failed at that this weekend. My takeaway is I will not fail at that a second time. Good. I like that positive attitude there. Um, Because you're right. If you can't, if you can't do those things, then 
you know, you're, you're really like hindering yourself. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with you can't be a writer, but... Well, you can't be a published writer if you can't engage publishers. That, okay, I, I can go with that. I, I can I can go right along with that. You know, and again, I think it's a skill you can learn. Oh, absolutely. Every, anything can be learned. So, you want to talk about books? Yeah, let's talk books. Um, this week, we're going back, we're moving back over to um, some fantasy uh, books. Swords! Yes. And uh, actually, I'm going to let you go first this time. Um, which okay. book are you are you pulling out? You're pulling out the funded book again this week. Well, I, 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 I am it's hard to say f- because with the new with the new system, I'm kind of doing a funded book too. Uh, well, I say that I better double check, but I feel it like is, it is. I yeah, checked. yeah. It's because now that there's there's light funded and heavy funded. Yeah, there's the light publishing goals, and you know the one I'm going to use um, hit its light publishing goal when they switched over to the new the new model. So. But yours is funded through the um, Nerdist, um, the Nerdist contest. Absolutely, I picked th- this. Is, this is a book that I was interested in the first time. It was uh, in a contest. It was in the Sword and Laser contest back in the day, in the old days, Paul. Yeah, you know, one day we're gonna say a year ago. When the, oh wow, that'll Soon be crazy. Too, I, I know, that's insane. A lot sooner than you know we 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 probably want it to be. <laughs> And and okay, this this is a book uh, by uh, A.J. Ainsworth called These Old Bones, and it was in the original Sword and Laser contest, and I was really rooting for it because it looks super good, but not to the point where I wanted him to beat me because I still wanted to win. <laughs> it was back in those days where uh, we weren't as communicative, but and it, it didn't fund with the um, it didn't fund with the Sword and Laser contest. But AJ came back for the Nerdist contest, doubled down like a goddamn maniac with the uh, with, with the getting supporters, and totally made it within the top five. And he did a fantastic job, and I'm super happy because it looks like a fantastic book. This is one of those books that, in the first contest, when it didn't make it, I was like, oh no, this is kind of a book that should like. There, I felt there were the same way, those, right? Yeah, yeah, there actually were. There were pro- probably I'd say most of the top ten really probably mm. should have made it you know yeah. but unfortunately that didn't happen but you know you're right he came back in the nerdist contest and he really like doubled down and he really like came back with like a a, a fury you know he was he was in it to well, win it you know what i mean a- absolutely and the, the, the thing is what was funny about these old bones in the context of the contest was at some point i for, for most of the contest i was ahead of him and then he passed me and in was, uh, Nerdist or the Sword and Laser? In the Nerdist contest, okay. and I was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm good with that." Like, I, you oh, know yeah. what? If anybody's gonna pass me, him, Brian Guthrie, like people that I know personally, that are friends, I have books. Like, I already have a book in publishing, so I was super thrilled. Anyway, so let me tell you a bit about the book itself. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, the uh, here's a synopsis. Some are born with a higher calling. On his 15th name day. Tomandros left home with nothing but a travel sack, his trusty walking stick, and a peculiar bag of old bones that belonged to his grandmother. His destination, the fabled city of Jahailis, where the Council of Grand Summoners sits to judge the merits of every novice, novice, guiler in the land. If he passes, he'll be admitted into their elite school to hone his craft, 
If not, his powers will be removed and he'll have to forge a new path in life. Along the way, he encounters a sharp-tongued sorceress who can call down lightning from the sky, who takes a particular interest in his macabre heirloom. She decides to accompany him to the city on a mysterious errand of her own. Together, they face many challenges, but the greatest of these, Tom's own crippling self-doubt. Now, which part of that do you think, considering what I just, the, 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 <laughs> the, the little discussion we had about my performance at the convention, which part of this do you think hooked me? Oh, that last <laughs> phrase, definitely. Definitely the Tom's own crippling self-doubt. Yeah, which, you I, know, we, we all live with that uh, to a certain extent, you know. Oh, of course, we're artists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that clearly, to me, especially after what you were just talking, what you were just saying, clearly that's the one that hooked you. Is that right? Yeah, that that's pretty much it. There's there's a, a lot of these smaller elements. Like I love the mystery of the bones because it's got this this like he says this macabre thing going on. Uh, obviously, there's there's importance that go probably goes beyond just a, an heirloom. There's obviously something more mystical about it, but that's only hinted in the synopsis. I've I've read the first chapter where uh, the, the character of Tamandros. Uh, leaves home and has this kind of a this this conversation with his mother about his his quest, and it's first of all the, the writing is top notch. Uh, Andrew does does a really good job of you know compelling, creating compelling characters and situations. This seems to be modeled very much on the uh, the hero's journey, where we have a, a small upstart going to uh, with humble beginnings going to a, a larger place and learning his role in the greater, greater scheme of things. But I, I like the, the fact that that particular hero is, is struggling with things that I myself am doing, like having problems with clearly. And I'm, I'm, I haven't read enough and I don't know if that appears in his, um, in, in the samples so far, but I'm curious also about the that sorceress that he's talking about. Yeah, I haven't actually. I have briefly scanned through all this, but I haven't actually sat down and read the the smell of rain or or the you know the sample that he posted. Um, so I don't know. I I do remember that uh, back in the the good old days of the sword and laser contest. Um, I I remember that uh, I. I was really interested in this book, and you know, now that I'm I'm look, re-looking at his uh, campaign, I believe I did read read through this. I just can't remember exactly. Gosh, I'm so I'm like losing my mind over here. You know, well, I, my my problem is because during those two contests, especially Nerdist contest, I read so many different synopsis. That's exactly I'm, what I'm worried about mixing him up and <laughs> dropping uh, story elements from one uh, chapter into someone else's. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. I mean, there was so there was. I don't know how, I, how many were in the nurse three fifty three hundred fifty yeah something and, like three fifty and an I th- immense number and I think in sword and laser there were about sixty fifty or sixty something like that I don't know how many do you know there was there was a bit more it was a I think a hundred and ten or something like that oh okay. but I didn't we, we're we're still talking about like three times of volume that's what I'm saying and I read a lot of stuff over that whole time period so, I mean especially after even after the sword and laser contest I, I went back and I read a lot of the things. Um, well, I had a bunch of credits at the end of the Nerdist contest that I wanted to spend, 
So I read a lot of synopsis to see what I wanted to pre-order. So l- let me tell you a bit more about like the 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 what the feel of the book, like the thematic and the uh, the, the the atmosphere is. Now I'm just going to read directly from what he, uh, Andrew wrote on his thing because he talks about books that I don't know, but are because I'm a philistine and an idiot. But our uh, listeners might know these books and, or at least be able to look them up to, to get a better idea. So in a nutshell, think The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle, at least in tone, generously sprinkled with Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Ursi. I'm, I'm speaking for Andrew, probably grasping a bit here, but these authors have had a heavy hand in shaping Andrew's voice and preferences in fantasy. Uh, as a Fantasist, sorry, Fantasist. I misread. Oh yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know the, um, the Last Unicorn. I do know. I think I've never read it, but I do know the book, um, The Wizard of Earthsea, uh, A Wizard of Earthsea. I don't know that one at all. It's funny, like both the authors I know, and I've, I'm I'm pretty sure these are titles I've come across, but I have not read them. But I, I read I read sadly very little fantasy, to be honest. That is kind of sad. I actually, I actually enjoy a, a good mix when I'm reading with, with you know, the things that I read. I like to read, not all over the place because you know I like to stick to a certain certain things. But you know, I, I like to I like to expand the horizons a little bit here and there. So uh, you know, let's talk about since we're going to be talking about um, crowdfunding in, here in a few minutes. Um, let's talk about what you think that he did right on his actually funding on his campaign page here. His video is awesome. His video is I was top gonna, notch. I was gonna, I was gonna say. I mean, his book is funded, but that doesn't mean you can't go pre-order it. And yeah, it's. I think it's still cheaper to pre-order right now. And I think anybody that hasn't pre-ordered or has credits should go pre-order uh, these old bones because it looks like it's going to be a pretty good book. But oh, even great. if you're not sure, just go to his page and listen to his video. It is. Freaking hilarious! It, he did a great job. It is hilarious, and you know, I'll be honest. Like, um, well, like you said, during Sword and Laser, it was kind of like a little bit more cutthroat and a little bit, you know, there wasn't like this community and uh, you know, and niceties. So I didn't pre-order this book until the actual until I think it was before it was. When did he repost it? I guess it was after the Nerdist the Nerdist started. Um. Anyway, I yeah. re I pre-ordered it because of that video. He sold me in that video. I was like, "This is great, fantastic!" Because you know, I like to, I like to make videos myself, and and uh, I actually have one that I recorded uh, at this point, two a month and a half, two months ago for um, Motor City Chronicles. Uh, that I have been in the editing stages, and then for some reason I lost it and had to start over, and I just haven't started over. That is going to be a video for that particular book when I find the time to re-edit it again. Man, you know it sucks. You put all that hard work in, and you're like, something happens, a computer crashes or something, and you lose it. Oh, it's, God. It's, that's the yeah. worst, man. But I have all the raw files still, and, I, and I'm going to put it back together. And it was only about a minute long anyway. But anyway, so his, uh, his, his video is really top-notch. It's very well-made. It's funny. And it's like, it's just like, it, it hooked me. And I was like, yep, I'm getting this. So I pre-ordered uh, when back whenever that was when he first po- posted the video because I remember it was only up for a couple of days maybe a day two days because somebody who was it I think it was Kara Weston she commented about it she said this is a great video and 
I had, and when I clicked on it, I was like, oh yeah, I know this book. I was like, this was in the last contest. So I was like, I'll watch the video because it's a new video for the Nerdist. And I was like, this is funny. It's great. So take a minute and, uh, you know, check it out. And pre-order because, well, this, well, this particular book is one of the, is the funded one this week. Well, I guess they're technically both funded, but it's, it's uh, you know, it is all the way there and it's going to be, um, well, right now it's showing hardcover. So I guess I assume that it's going to be out in hardcover eventually in, uh, I don't know, publish, publish date pending, but we'll say probably about a year from now or 11 months, something along those lines. It re- I, that never really depends on like publishing windows. Like Yes, exactly. I would say, do, do you, uh, I would say, send future, the future version of you a, a present by pre-ordering that. One day the book will show up <laughs> on your doorstep and you'll be, oh yeah, I remember that. And be, it'll be a happy day. That happened to me today. I, um. I had ordered on Kickstarter a uh, jazz cover version of um, Star Wars music called Live from the Cantina, Star Wars Jazz Tribute by uh, Andrew Allen. And I pre-ordered that that probably a year ago and got it today. And I had completely forgotten. I went, oh, that. It's like Christmas. I love surprises. (laughs) You're like, wow, this is is great. So, yeah, go go pre-order these old bones. A, AJ is a great guy. He's a super nice guy, and the book looks fantastic. It's it's one of these – there's a couple of books in the Inkshare uh, stable of books in production that are sort of bringing me back to fantasy, and uh, AJ's is definitely one of them. How about you? You have uh, another book to sh- talk about. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to talk about uh, 3.8 is the, is the title of the book. And, I'm, uh, I'm super happy you're going to talk about it because I – Unfortunately, that's one of those books. I pre-ordered it, but more like a knee-jerk thing. I haven't read much about it. Uh, yeah, well, that's kind of how I was. Well, I don't want to say it was knee-jerk for these old bones, but uh, I can't. I couldn't remember much about it. But so anyway, three point eight is by Michael Malilli, and uh, he. Uh, it's a two hundred page fantasy book, and as we said before, it's it's hit its light publishing goal. So he is definitely going to get at least light publishing, but he's still got. Um, well, 20, 24 more days on his campaign. So if you haven't pre-ordered, go pre-order. Maybe you can get him up to his seven fifty. He's uh, you know, halfway there, pretty much. So three, five, pretty much halfway there. Not quite halfway there, but uh, anyway. So I'll just read a little bit about this. What he has here, um, uh, his is not quite as organized as like um, AJ's. Ah, oh, here we go. The book's protagonist is Judd, a heartbroken man who has lost both his wife and daughter. The story will follow him as he struggles with the pain of his loss, even while having to do all the things that life requires in these moments. As he finds himself more and more lost, he's offered a shred of hope. His daughter may still be alive, but taken by an ancient society of inhuman creatures. As his investigation leads him deeper and deeper into a dark underworld, the reader will have to decide if Judd is truly on a righteous quest or just slowly losing his sanity. So, I mean, uh, sounds pretty good to me. Um, what really drew me to this book initially was his little, uh, I guess, his little hook at the top of the at the top of his campaign page. Um, he says, after a child dies. A father investigates rumors of supernatural beings stealing his children, or is it all in his mind? And I was like, hmm, is it all in his mind? Okay, that, that could be interesting. So as I scrolled down, I read a little bit about, uh, well, he's got this under the about the book section. That's why I said it's a little little bit um, organized differently than 
these old bones. Um, but anyway, he has this, and this is about himself and his actual, excuse me, his actual wife. He said, earlier this year, we were, we were blessed with, by the birth of our first child, Piper. She lived for 11 days before passing away early in the morning of May 6th. Um, and- hey, you, one of the things that's, this is, reading the sentence is what made me stop reading. Really? About this book. And this is, this is kind of a, an off thing is this kind of scenario happened to my uncle and aunt way like decades, like two decades ago. They lost their first child. But she was born with like a terrible heart defect, yeah. and she lived for a very, very short time, maybe maybe twenty days, something like not even a month. And I remember very vividly how that had affected them as a couple and as a family, and how hard it was for them to to move forward and rebuild. And I don't know. I read that, and I went, mm, "I'm going to pre-order it and move on with my life." And just I'll I'll read the book when I get it. But I don't like I I don't know. It it just. I don't want to say it hit home because obviously this is not something that's personal to me, but it, it brought up memories of something that happened in my family that I just did not feel like revisiting. So that's why I didn't read more about it. But go on. Well, um, it's, very, it's very interesting. That is actually what kept me reading. I was like, hmm. I was like, I, you know, I had like, I felt for this guy, you know, because, you know. Well, you have, you have kids well, too. Yeah, I, mean, I have this... one, one, one daughter. Um, and, uh, plenty. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Some days it feels like plenty. Um, but most days it doesn't. Uh, so anyway, that got me because, you know, as a, as a father myself, I was like, man, what would that feel like? You know? And, you know, as far as being a writer and uh, a creator of stuff, you kind of always want to tap into these feelings so you can express something that will make someone else feel something, hopefully, you know, right. And, um, uh, so, I read that a little bit about how she uh, lived for eleven days, and I scanned through this other stuff to see what the more a book was, a, uh, what the book was about. And I got down to the um, the uh, sample, and it's called "The Week of dot dot dot." Okay, so the sample starts out with the sentence that says three point eight ounces. That's all I have left of my daughter. And that right there, I was like, man, that's pretty. Pow- that's a powerful way to start, in my opinion. It's it's heavy. It's very heavy, it's, right? It's very heavy. Very heavy. And you know, this kind of stuff might not be for everyone, but it's for some reason it resonated with me. You know, there's certain there's certain stories, and I'm not saying this is the case. Again, like I told you, I haven't read really any of these, any of these samples for 3.8. There's certain stories. And the most recent example I can remember is uh, the the movie uh, District Nine, which are because of the the, the way the story is told, because of subject matter, because of where it hits you emotionally, are important without necessarily being a joy. Right. I don't know if basically you. It's important to read it, but it's not necessarily going to be a pleasurable trip. And this to me feels like it's that kind of book, like just that and that the starting story, the fact that it explores really the kind of madness that a like a father who suffers that kind of, that kind of loss would go through, the fact that you know it blurs the line between you know reality and fantasy and madness. This is obviously this is not going to be a laugh a minute kind of book. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but it feels. It's, it seems like the kind of book that's both probably very important for 
for Michael to have written, but also important to uh, for the reader to read. Right, I understand. What uh, you I, mean. I, don't, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, no, I, I, I totally understand what you mean. Um, and 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 you're right. For him as a writer, this was, uh, well, and I think he even says somewhere in here. I remember reading that this was a way for him to kind of try to deal with this whole situation. You know, he this was a way for him to sort of maybe escape or you know get a little self help maybe if you want to put it that way. But uh, uh, it, it's an interesting read, and it is he- it is heavy, but. Uh, about I don't know a few paragraphs uh, from the from the end of the sample, it really takes not not necessarily a turn, but you get this um, kind of introduction of the uh, perhaps the alien or or these um, underworld people or something, and it's just really like I don't know I read it to myself three or four times. And I I felt like powerful, but you're right. Heavy is a a good way to describe it too. And then I was like, this was back when I was again making these uh, um, audio excerpts for people to hear, and I was like, I want to just give this one a shot to see how I do. And really, I recorded it in maybe two takes. Okay, like two separate. Like I had to stop and and go back and and you know fix something right, but. That's a lot less than I did for like uh, for like God in the Shed, for example, you know, and like you hear it now and it sounds seamless. But, you know, all of these things, it's just like a little, you know, magic. Even the podcast here, I'll have um, some things that I cut out. Like, uh, for example, I have a cold going on right now and I've been coughing in the background, but you won't hear that if you're listening to this after the fact because I'll, I'll fix it, you know. So, um, um it's crazy, dear listeners. I think he's dying. <laughs> yes, I am. I have exactly, you know, um, wait a minute. I have exactly 10 minutes left to live now. If uh, if I don't have to cut it too much, that w- that should be the 50-minute mark for you. <laughs> so that'll take us right to the end of our podcast. But no, anyway, back to this. So it, he takes this um, interesting turn here, and he's uh, really like letting out, I can tell that he's like letting out aggression. Um, on whatever it is that's really bothering him on the inside, like, and I'm trying to, and I'm trying to get too deep, and I'm just guessing here, obviously. But uh, for me, I was like, man, I could tell that he's hurt by this, and he's uh, personifying this pain through his writing here, you know, and he's giving it a a a well personification. I guess that's the best way you can put it, um, and. I don't know. It just really appealed to me. But if you have some time, definitely read it. Now, I ne- he has he has the next chapter up, which I have not read uh, because he didn't at the at that point. At least I don't think he, did. he might have. But anyway, uh, give it a shot. And I could tell you, since we're going to spend a few minutes talking about uh, things that we've learned, I would probably organize this particular crowdfunding page a lot differently if I were him. Oh, well, let's, let's get into that. I mean, everybody go go to InkShares, go to 3.8. It's written with no spaces, the number 3 point spelled out, and 8 with no spaces. And and check it out. This is It's it's one of these works that seems very personal. And I think if if you're the kind of person who likes to read things that will – leave a mark on you that will sort of teach you something, a perspective that you might not be able to gain otherwise, I think this is going to is one of those rare books that seems to have that particular ingredient to it. I think I think so too. And uh like you said District 9, like I agree with you about that. It does the same it does a similar thing that District 9 
kind of major. Yeah, I mean, feel, I, I watched District Nine. And I went. I am glad I saw this movie. I enjoyed this movie. I am probably not going to want to watch it again because it it it's got some heavy things and it's it doesn't end on a super positive note. And this is. It's, it's that kind of heaviness that you don't necessarily want to revisit, but you're glad you, you touched on for the first time. All right, let's talk about campaigns. Now, yeah, so as we were saying, his, uh, I, as I was saying, I would, I would organize his differently because, in my mind, that would be something that would help him. Yeah, to, to, to set but, the stage, we're going – one of the things that I, – I did a panel at CanCon on, uh, on crowdfunded publishing, and there was a, a guy there that was actually a, a participant in the Nerds Contest, a man called Ira Naiman. And he mentioned that he was not very prepared for the campaign when he jumped in for the contest. And one of the things that I notice on a lot of contest participants, myself included, is that these... You know, Me, too. Well, Me too. I, I think that's everyone, really, because these... I do, too, because we're excited to get to get started. You know, you want to get out there and you want people to support you. So you dive in, you know, head first without really... And this doesn't apply to everyone, obviously. Well, I, I know, it, and uh, I didn't mean to no, cut you I, off. There, in, in a way, no, you're, 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 that's fine. It's in a way, it does apply to everyone because these contests, as far as I can remember, none of them were announced like two weeks in advance. It's not like King Share says, "Hey, in two weeks, we're starting contests." It's more like, "Hey, this morning we started a contest." Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you mean. And in that in that way, you are correct. That um, everybody was kind of in the same situation. But some people took some time and did a better job than I did. Absolutely, and, and a, a lot of it probably has to do with how much time you have at that moment to turn around and, and flip a book over. And you, you, you I don't want to say you jumped the gun, but you, you started talking about how the page for 3.8 was maybe not optimally organized. And as far as preparation is concerned, I think I think you're hitting it. I mean, I understand why you want to talk about that first because that is that's the big one, right? You want your project yeah, page and, to be organized. Yeah, and you know, I was right there looking at it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. He's got a, all the right information. I think he just uh, um, and Michael, if you're listening to this, like obviously, you know, you do what you feel is right. But for me personally, I think that I would move some of that information around. Not that it's bad information, because it's great information. I mean, again, I pre-ordered it because I was like, this appeals to me, and I like it. But uh, coming across... And, you know, even if you looked at uh, Motor City Chronicles right now of mine, it's not organized the best that it could be, because, well, I don't have a lot of time between working my full-time job and then trying to get Ageless ready for um, print. You know, it's uh, I'm really busy, and I, and I feel bad saying this, but... I haven't I haven't put in as much effort as I want to, you know, and uh, it just comes down to time for me. And I'm sure that's the same thing with a lot of other people. They're doing this um, kind of as hobby is not the right word, but they're doing this as kind of a, a starting point, maybe, because, you know, this is something that especially with the light light funding, it's something that's more obtainable at this point, you know. Right. And contests are not necessarily the best place to I mean, to 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 do crowdfunding it's absolutely you you've got a ton of writers fewer readers there's a a deadline that's much closer everybody's rushing trying to sort of get more attention rise above the noise so 
let's let's say we interpret this as a non-rush scenario where you can prepare in advance. Okay. What would you that say the, the the necessary elements for one of these project pages to be? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get you started. Like the one thing, like the most important thing and the hardest thing is that that little elevator pitch at the beginning, right under three point eight, like right under the, your book title. You get about what 160 characters. Yeah, something like that. It's like uh, you know you have to tweet about it, based pretty much like, and that is one of the hardest things because if you haven't if you haven't stopped and thought about your story in those terms, then you know that could be a huge uh, speed bump for you right out the gate. You know, and you know obviously you can edit this at any time if you, if you have ever created one of these, you can edit mm-hmm. that at any time. If you if um, so if you come up with something better, you can obviously change it. In fact, that's exactly what I did with Ageless. Um, in the beginning, I, I, I was like, I have no idea. So I'm going to try to uh, just put something as a placeholder. But I don't know. It has to be to the point. It's like we t- when we were talking about our own personal books and creating that two-sentence or, or one-sentence, two-sentence description of our entire story you know that that elevator pitch you know yeah the, so the the, the the all hollywood executive pitch if you will that's right and you know it's and we we touched on this briefly before but uh it's hard to come up with something without saying it's this and this with a little bit of this mixed in you know um yeah the the recipe to your book I'm right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on the limb like the, the the ones I've seen that are six, more successful than others and what I was what I got to learn during those pitch ses- sessions over the weekend. Don't be afraid in those 160 characters in those two sentences. Don't don't be humble. Don't 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 put your book down. Like if if the author can't say anything nice about his book, there's very little reason why a reader would want to read it. So be aggrandizing about your book. And then with that in mind, pick the main theme, the main thing about what your book is about. And I mean, Michael did a really good job is he doesn't talk down to his book. He really just lays down what the basic synopsis is. No spoilers, but enough information that you know what you're getting into. You know that some there's dad, loses his kid, and then boom, supernatural creatures. So it's not going to be a surprise when there's going to be uh, monsters and the supernatural. But then he ends it by saying, or is it all in his mind? So you know there's going to be some mind games going on and some like subjective reality stuff. So that's, that's the thing. Like Pick up. Pick what the, the 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 main theme, what's important about your book, and say that in a compelling way. Make sure that there's because you, you don't want. I feel like I'm babbling, but one of the no. things talking to a, to an editor friend of mine that we were talking about cover copy, and she says, "Don't hold back too much about your book, either in in a in a pitch or a synopsis, because." Let's say you want to be clever and say, ah, I'm writing a horror book, but I'm going to hide it inside a fantasy book. Well, if your reader doesn't want a horror book, at the point where it gets all horror-y, they're going to put the book down and be <laughs> really angry word. and give you a bad review. So if you're writing a horror book, say it. Like, just say it. This is like, in, in, a, in a wonderful, happy fantasy land, everything seems okay until werewolves or something. Exactly. Like, <laughs> 
So, and you know, the funny thing is, is uh, uh, Gary Witta's book, Abomination, it, uh, his, his little uh, pitch at the beginning, it says, inspired by my love of medieval history, mythological fantasy, and good old-fashioned monster stories. So, I mean, he rolls it up in the package, and, he, and you know exactly what you're going to get. Medieval history, mythological fantasy, good old-fashioned monster story. And All that is there. exactly what you get. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, another one that does a good job, too, is um, Treconomics. I was, I was checking out Treconomics. And um, Treconomics says, The economics of Star Trek. How does it work, and how do we get there? That tells me everything that it, this book is going to tell me. You know, in that one sentence, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, did I pre-order this? I, I think I pre-ordered Treconomics. If I did you, not, I you, need to. I, you should. It, you should. should encourage him towards his goal of writing Wookiee-nomics about the, the, the economics of Star, Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I will definitely so, do that. I okay, another, another element that's important, because I want to get through as many of the stuff that you need to prepare uh, Absolutely. for the end of the show. So, another thing that you need to prepare, and this is... I almost feel like InkShares is doing the authors a disservice by offering these uh, these images that you can choose for temporary covers. No, don't, don't. If you can't find a compelling image, it doesn't need to be complex. It doesn't need to be professional. I mean, once you fund InkShares, is going to help you design a cover, as I know you're going through. Yes, but actually, you yeah. need something for your cover and if it's a stock image that there are like 20 other books on InkShare with the same image don't just go pay $10 go to a stock photography site use a keyword find something that looks cool and use that but use you need something that's visually arresting usually with you know contrasting colors that have some punch big block letter title for your book and use that. Don't don't cheap on the cover. That is very important. People are visual creatures. You need that cover, and you can't you can't rely on just the ink share stuff. Yeah, I All agree right. with that. I agree with so, that because you don't want this this generic. I mean, I I understand why they do it. You know, to give the to give people like us or or anyone who come to the site a visual reference for. Um, the book although if it doesn't match your book if your book is like 3.8 and it's about this guy who may may or may not be going crazy because his family was killed um you know a picture of this of the um the san francisco cityscape at night is not going to convey that you know what i mean no and exactly you need, and you need to have something a little little bit along the lines like you're saying pay a couple of dollars and get something um more specific off of you know a um uh, a pay site you know Exactly. And the thing is, what we're talking about right now is not necessarily how to get your campaign on Inkshare for cheap. The idea is what do you need to be prepared once you launch? Before you hit launch and have that thing online and start tweeting about it, you, if, if you're going to prepare and you're going to be serious about running a crowdfunding campaign, get yourself a damn good cover. Even It doesn't need to be super good. Like I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating that way, but Find something that at least stands out from the rest of the covers and doesn't look like just stock imagery from InkShares. Right. Now, you were talking about the structure of the actual text, and I cut you off earlier because I, I want to set the scene a bit. Oh, yeah. No, what, no worries. What would you say is the optimal hierarchy of information in that? Because this is something I have trouble with. Like, I redid mine five times. Well, when you first, when you first, well, I haven't 
posted a book since like August, but when you first post a book, they may have changed it a little bit. They actually give you like a little bit of a guideline, right? Is that correct? Do you remember that? Like I they have don't. some things. <laughs> they have some things like the about me, like a little place where you're supposed to write a little bit about yourself, right. a little synopsis of your book. And then they give you um, an area where you can, uh, you know, add your, add your, your uh, sample. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also a, a spot, <coughs> excuse me, a spot above that that is um, just for like uh, embedding a video. So um, as far as I'm concerned, like if you can give someone something condensed in like two or three minutes, a visual, something visual and something audio because most people are on the go you know how it is the uh, you know i i don't necessarily like this is going to sound terrible and as i'm about to say it i know it's going to sound terrible but uh kara's um kara's book she is the end right her sample is like so long it would take me an hour to read it and i don't have an hour as as i'm sure that you have figured out by everything i say is i don't have time i don't have time you know um i would love to read it all, and I have read a lot of it, but you know, you want to be careful and stay away from being long-winded. So, if you could put something together that's short and to the point, you know, reasonably short, you know, four or five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, video-wise, I think I think that those, in my opinion, are the are the ones that are the best. Now, that doesn't mean I don't go down to the written stuff because obviously I do. Um, the about me stuff is pretty cool, short and sweet, um, but I think I would probably put some stuff about my book before I talked about myself. I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's important. I mean, like what, whatever kind of things that, uh, what do you call it? Like kind of like the, the copy for the back of like the life engineered, you know, something that's a couple of paragraphs that gives you enough information, um, that, that kind of ex- expands on the, um, elevator pitch at the top of the and if, if I can give a tip you know? as far as you're absolutely right you want to put basically what you're about the book is going to be the equivalent of your, your cover copy your, your back of the book synopsis right and one of the key elements you want to have in there is talk about your main character because your main character yes. is the guy or gal or robot or monster that is that the reader is going to follow along and if you can in those scant two parag- two or three paragraph get the reader to go i like that person and i'm curious about his challenges and endeavors i want to know more you've got him you ha- you have that's, a pre-sale and you know you're absolutely right that is what has dr- you know that's what has brought me into every one that i have pre-ordered um, and you know what? I don't do it. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I, I don't. I don't know. I know I should, and I just just saying it. I realize that's not something I do in my synopsis for a, for a God in the Shed, and I should. I'm going to go rewrite that. You know, so honestly, learning. you really should. And uh, you know, I didn't necessarily do. I didn't do that either. I'm looking back at my, <laughs> I'm looking back at stupid Motor City Chronicles. And I love this book, by the way. And uh, I, I'm working on it for Nano <laughs> NaNoWriMo, and I've done a hundred, uh, just over a hundred words. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good, considering it's today. We're recording on the fourth, so <laughs> I'm not doing so great. It's time again. It's time. So uh, I did it's not the fire do that in either. which we burn. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. I don't know why. I just got to the point. I went got right to the point. I said, I don't care what you care about. You just read what I want to write. And that's what a lot of people do, you know. Um, but it, you hit the. Well, you, it's, it's what we know, right? And you know, and you know, the thing is, 
you said it perfectly when you're talking about the um the comic i mean the um cancon experience uh it's about really like figuring out how to to sell yourself i mean i don't know i it's hard to explain no i can't can't remember exactly how you put it but i'm trying to summarize it (laughs) A lot about this, if, like, you're not going to build, and we're diverging a bit. I'm going to bring us back on subject. And Please do, because this. I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say this. The, the thing is, if you want to be a writer, you're not going to be a writer by having written a book. You're going to be a writer because you write books continuously, which means that you need to be a brand, not just your book. Maybe at first you need to share the stage with your book, but people don't know Stephen King as that guy what wrote the you know it. They don't they they know Stephen King as Stephen King horror writer. Right. He is his own brand. Exactly, and that's why his name ends up being the biggest thing on the cover. It's not well, like. Your name will very often, even if you're a new writer, it's, I mean, it starts off small, but it's not that small. You're right. It's, your name needs to, and this is the thing, you need to build your brand because if you're going to make it as a career, you are the product and the book is just what you put out. So let's, let's, let me bring us back to the, uh, to the whole preparing. So you basically, what you need to do going in is have a decent description of your book you need to have a, a video version of that description, which for the video, obviously to prepare, it's, I mean, you don't need anything too complicated. Like Kara did something insane and same thing for AJ. I, I only did a voiceover of a, uh, a time-lapse video of me drawing stuff, which isn't all that impressive, but it's all I could muster. And I'll be honest, I watched yours and I liked it because it did the things that I said, you know, it gave me something to see. Uh, as you were creating that um, the uh, graphic, and you talked to me about what the book was and about who the people were and what you know, you got. Yeah, to I, the prob- point, I probably you know? did a better job in my video. The, the 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 audio of the video, although I sound like I sound terrible, the, the, my choice of what I talked about is probably better than my uh, my my book synopsis on the page. <laughs> uh, if you can't, like, let's say you don't necessarily have. The, the the training or the experience to do a funny video like AJ does or do something like fancy voiceovers like Paul Inman does. Just do uh, our our my, my friend Joseph who wrote uh, Lost Generation. All he did was just he set up a camera, sat down, and talked about his book, and that is enough. That is that's all you need to do is just everybody has a webcam. It. Obviously, it sucks. It's not super professional, but it's something. It's it's something that people can press play and listen to while they sort through their email and they're hearing you talk about your book and your project, and that's a way of, of hooking them. And that's what that video is for. And, and you you need that. And talk it up. You know, don't talk don't talk down about your book, like you said, and about the pitches. You know, you you have to if you can't champion your book. Why is anyone else going to do that? Exactly. You know? And that is hard. It's hard to do because as a creative person, at least as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm like, God, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. You know, but at some point you got to start lying to people and telling them that you don't suck. 
you know. Yeah, one day we're going to need to have an episode about self-esteem. So an- another thing <laughs> I think correct. is <laughs> another thing I think is important. Obviously, you're you're going to have like all that information. You have your video in the hierarchy. After that, you want to have your synopsis. Probably going to want to talk about yourself in more details and text. And then there's two more elements, two last elements I think are necessary to put on your project page. And you can tell me if uh, if I'm wrong, if I'm forgetting anything. You need to have a written chapter. Don't go online without a sample, whether it's your prologue, uh, your first chapter, an, an important chapter later in the book. Don't, don't go in there without people being able to judge the quality of your writing and make sure it's good. Like, yeah. yeah. Edit the beep out of that yes, one chapter. Yes, because people, if you have not realized, people on the internet are unforgiving. You know, like I have, I had... When I first put up Aegis, I had like a couple of typos. And yes, I really should not have, but it's like, come on. I'm I'm a human. Well, there, there, I, I, I make mistakes, in, you know. If you pick up a copy of J.R. Martin's latest book, there's typos in there. Yeah, and, and it's if you been don't if you think, the ringer yeah, already. Exactly. Know? It's been through an army of editors. So but so don't beat yourself up too much if there's typos. Well, I'll give you an example. I made like a huge mistake with a gun to shed. I put up my, not my latest draft. <laughs> my prologue was fine. My prologue was the most recent version of that. But the I put up nine sample chap- chapters from a previous draft, not my latest one. And I had people, I would receive a series of email of people saying, there's a typo here, there's a typo there, like in the comments. This hurts in two ways. First of all, I'm not putting my best foot forward, so that's terrible. But the people that are following my book or reading my cha- cha- my, my, the, my sample chapters and see comments and click on those comments and see that there's corrections to typos, that makes me look like a goddamn fool. Yeah, and that's... And I had, I had friends adding to these comments, basically sabotaging my campaign. Don't give people the tools to do that to you. Yes. I mean, they mean well, but... Yeah, they do. And, and you know, they do. But obviously, you know, this is called a... You know, this is the draft stage on purpose. I mean, like, that's the name of it for a reason, you know. So, you know... No, abso- it, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. There's going to be there's gonna be errors, but you don't want to do a stupid mistake like I did and put the wrong document on Yes. And what's the other thing? You said there were two things. The other thing is... And this one's a bit trickier, but you can you can do it. If your book is at least partially written, which it should, if you're going into this campaign with just an idea, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're going to have trouble. Have one of your better readers leave a review. It adds to... There's a section called What the Critics Are Saying where people can leave a review of the book. Even if the book is not complete... Have one of your better readers tell him more about the story. Have him read as many sample chapters as you've got or the whole thing the whole thing if you've got it. And if they like it, have them leave a review because it, it, it gives an outside perspective onto your book. It allows potential readers to see how other people perceive your work, not from the point of view of the author who knows all the secrets and all the little nitty-gritty and plans and you know, has a very skewed perspective on the work, they can see it from a perspective that they can comprehend that of the reader. 
And that is super important. So find someone to do that. I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree. That's the one of the first things I did when I posted Ageless. I called up the couple of people that had um, that had read it, and I said, "Listen, I put my book on here. I need you to go there and write something nice." And I was like, "And I'm not telling you what to write. Even if you hated everything, write that I'm a nice person or or something, you know." And again, because you, you know you don't want to, you kind of want people to see, like you said, an outside perspective, but you want it to be a positive. And then other people will come along, and they may not like it so much, and they may write things negative, but, you know, you want to have something where someone can say, whoa, well, this person seems to like it. Like, I'm looking at, what, I don't even know what I'm on here, uh, single version. I'm on, uh, randomly, I'm on single version, and I could tell you the first thing, um, the first, what critics are saying is, man, I love this book. And I mean, that's how the review started. I mean, and you know that this person is probably um, a reader or a friend of this, of, uh, who wrote this book? I don't even, Scott, I'm going to ruin this. Barsati? Yes, Barsati. Sorry, Barsati. Scott Barsati. Um, But, I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing to do. It's no different than like Amazon, you know, it's no different than reviews there, you know? And no, no one's going to go in there thinking that this is not your buddy writing it. They'll know, right, they'll know that it's one of your friends, but you at least got a friend to say something good about it. That's already a start. All right, well, I'm going to speed this up because I don't want us to run out too much of time. And I mean, we've talked about the project page, but there's a bunch of other things that need to be prepared before you launch a crowdfunding campaign. And one of them, in my opinion, is there anything that you think should be added for the crowdfunding campaign? Uh, I think we covered everything pretty adequately. Um, the, okay. the, well, the, the project page, I mean, because there's a couple of other things. That's, I what, I think are worth that's what I meant to. That's what I meant to. the page itself, I think we covered everything pretty adequately. Obviously, you know, all those, every one of the things that we touched on are very important because they're, you know, they're showing your work, they're showing who you are, they're showing that, you know, you you have a, a goal and it's a clear goal and it's serious goal. And that's something that I think is very important that uh, maybe we didn't, I, you know, I know we didn't say yet, but really ultimately it all comes down to that show that you can be clear with your goals and that you have a, a drive and a desire to really get this done, you know? Right. So one of the things, and we're, we're going to talk about something called um, an impact that you want to do basically when you launch your campaign there is you want on your first day to be able to get as many pre-orders in like the first 24 hours basically a lot one of the things about crowdfunding is that crowdfunding is usually in typical campaign maybe like during contests is a bit different because we campaign so much harder but usually you'll get most of your pre-orders in the first few days and the last few days like the last Two days are usually like crazy for like kickstarts and things like that. To get a good first 24 hours, you need to be prepared in the sense that you need to have all your friends and families, those surefire purchases, you want them to happen almost immediately. The reason why you want to do that is because this makes you, uh, this brings you to the usually the first, the front page of the crowdfunding platform you're on. If they have a newsletter, yeah. it'll get you noticed. If they do crowd picks, uh, well, not crowd picks, but uh, staff picks like they do on, on Inkshares, they do that when they notice like campaigns that spike, campaigns that seem to explode. So, one of the things you want to do before you hit this launch button. Go into Excel or Word and drop a list of everyone you know 
that would might be even remotely interested in supporting you. Write that list, write those email, and then write the actual email itself with all the information to make it as clear and easy for someone to support you. Don't write a novel. Write something short, clear and concise, have easy-to-click links, and be prepared to send that email to your list that you built. And send that email not on the day of the campaign. Send it a couple of days before telling them the campaign starts on this day and then send them a reminder on the actual day of the campaign saying, hey, remember when I told you? Today's the day. Do it. And you know who did that um, pretty well recently is uh, um, the book Captain. Artie, Artie right. Seven. Right. I can't. The, wow. Cyber's, I pre-ordered that because he made that much noise. Right. I mean, and the impact, uh, like you're saying, that is exactly 100% an awesome thing. It's an awesome tip. I did not do that. <laughs> I, I, well, the, the problem is this is not something that applies very much to you and me because you and me did the whole jumping on board of a contest thing, which is yeah, a that's... very artificial way of getting into crowdfunding. And, you know, it's because... such a, it's so difficult because of the time frame too, because you're basically working with less than half of the normal time. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't have any preparation. We're talking about preparation, which is specifically something that we didn't get to do. So our opinion is, oh, these are all the things we wish we had done. So there, yes. there's this whole impact thing, and you want to spread that around. Like I'm talking about emails, but if you're on any kind of a, a – in any community, online, Facebook groups that yeah, will allow media, you to Twitter. advertise, social media, Twitter – uh, you have writer friends, get them to, to to advertise for you. If you already have a mailing list because of a previous campaign on Inkshare, make sure you send it to them and just follow that same procedure. Like uh, preview that you're going to launch something and then on the day of the launch, put in a reminder. Good. That's a great so, tip. Is there anything else that you think is necessary to prepare a campaign? In In my opinion, and it's just opinion, maybe – Maybe you should have the majority of your manuscript already written, but oh, I look. I've only campaigned for fully written manuscripts so far because I'm paranoid, right? And you know, and so so I completely agree. Um, I, Ageless was completely written and actually rewritten, uh, at least once when I when I first entered it into the campaign, and uh, I I found that to be you know that's just one more stress that you don't have to have, you know. Um, and mm. I don't know, well, I kind of know because Motor City Chronicles isn't completely written yet that, uh, um, well, I'll be honest when I, when I entered in the Nerdist contest with that, I didn't enter in with the idea of that. I'm going to win this contest. I entered in with the idea of let's just see what's going to happen. And I actually made, you can change your, um, time limit for your funding. And I made it way out. Like, I think my, my fund, the, the campaign doesn't end until, mid-April or something like that. But I did that on purpose because I kind of wanted to try to coincide it with uh, ageless, re- ageless release, you know? So perhaps that could, like, push some pre-orders, you know? No, I, 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 I absolutely agree. I, I think that it it's also just makes things easier to have as much prepared as possible because then later on during the campaign, and we'll get to what to do during a campaign to help push sales, but having material that you can release, if you have, it, yeah, it also yeah. opens the door to if someone says, "Hey, do you have a full manuscript?" Because I would like to like post a pre-review, 
like a review or something, it allows you to have that be possible to do. So I, I think this is most of the preparations I can think of. Obviously, if you have any media contacts of any kind, you want to include them into your into your campaign, your pre-campaign. If you uh, if you know anybody that does podcasting, radio, a TV show, whatever, like just get get in contact with these people. Let them know that you'll be launching that campaign, and ask them, like tell them, I need your help. And there's this there's this weird psychology thing that's. I don't know if I talked about this on the show before, but people tend to like others that ask for help because, I mean, the, the psychology is kind of twisted and, and, and evil, but when someone asks you for help, it makes you feel superior to them because you are in a position of power over them and that makes you like them more. So don't be don't be <laughs> Interesting. too... It, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, it's all subconscious stuff but the thing is what i'm what i'm trying to say is like don't be too proud to go to someone that you think can help you and say i need your help and you can help me this way because you'd be surprised how many people will say yes or if they say no it won't be because they don't want to it's because they can't so I think that goes around the subject. If any of our listeners have any tips, I mean, we've, I mean, obviously there are a few of you that are very successful at this crowdfunding things. I mean, some, absolutely more than uh, a few. Even. Exactly. So obviously you guys probably have some tips. I'd, we'd love to have them. You can uh, send them to either my email at, uh, Jeff Dubo, uh, 1976, uh, at gmail.com or Paul, what's your email? Um, it is P D a, the number four ever at gmail.com. Yes, before you ask, it is the name of the rap group that I was in. PDA was the name of the rap group. Yes. Oh, we're, we are totally going to talk about that at some point. Yes, Anyways, we will. Just, <laughs> if, if you have any tips or tricks about how to better prepare for a crowdfunding campaign, get in touch with us. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll read your emails on the air. Or and... if you're in the Goodreads, in the Goodreads um, Inkshares Ink Writers Group, uh, there is actually a thread there. You can post some comments or questions or, or tips there as well. Yeah, that actually sounds more efficient than my way. I will say that as of yesterday, Ageless will be published in paperback. I'm actually very happy to hear about that. So if you were someone who is on the fence because of the um, expenses for the hardback, it is now, I believe, and uh, I might not be right actually, but I think fourteen ninety nine instead of twenty five ninety nine. Which is which is going to help you marketing wise is going to make the, the book more approachable once it hits shelves and uh, bookstores are going to be more comfortable stocking it. So I, I think personally, I think it's a good marketing move. Well, thank you. And um, we are closing in on a um, cover. We're on the third round of edits, uh, which is probably one more than we should have had. But I was like being prima donna a little bit. <laughs> I'm funny. like, ah, no, I need it to be better, you know. <laughs> It's look. It's 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 your first book. You want to do a good splash. You need a good cover. Covers are, don't judge a book by by its cover, except everybody else does. So I know, right? So um, that's my little bit of um of news. So, um, you know, and that brings us to like an extra long episode once again. I think that we we're probably ready to wrap it up. So if I if I wanted to um, send you uh you know funny things on twitter how would i do that you would uh, go to at jf dubo and that's uh jf d-u-b-e-a-u how about you 
Where do they contact you on Twitter? At Paul Inman SC. That is P A U L I N M A N S C. And uh, if uh, I wanted to go to your website and you know check out the um, the web comic that you do, how would I get there? Uh, well, let's not let's not do the web comic. <laughs> I need to get back into that at some point. If but if you want to go to my website and see more about whatever dumb stupid stuff I'm doing, or maybe some of the books I'm working on, I, I need to sort of update my uh, my book page. But I'm still gonna send you there because that's where you, you'll find links to my works. You can go to jfdubo.com/books. How about you? And you have you have a real you have a well organized website, much better than mine right um, now. It's just www.paulinman sc.com and uh there's a bunch of different you know you can scroll around and see all the fun um dumb things that i do (laughs) if you are into that kind of stuff (laughs) dumb stuff (laughs) well you know we 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 said earlier that we shouldn't self-deprecate so quit it yeah but this is our podcast so the hell with everybody else right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Sorry for the long podcast. We had a lot to talk about. We're going to try to make it quicker next time. Probably fail. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>